Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, it's Monday night where you tell me who are the heroes and who are the villains from the weekend in sport. Michael Barlow will do that with us as well. And we'll talk about a few of the other things coming out of round eight. Uh, yes, indeed. Welcome to the Sporting Capital on a Monday night. I hope you've had a cracking day, however you've been putting it in, wherever you've been putting it in. It's wonderful to have your company, however you're finding us, wherever you're finding us around the country uh, on the SEN network. Sam Hargraves with you, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The Harcourt's open line is always open to you. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Heroes and villains is what we do on a Monday night. Who are the heroes? Who were the villains? It's a tale as old as time. It's an easy just a, a layup for us on, on a Monday to make some sense of what went down over the, the weekend. Before I do that, there was a ton of text that I didn't get to read out during the Macca's run, and, and I've been told I need to lift my game when it comes uh, to the to the temper text, temper mattress like no other, Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. That's just me telling myself that I need to make sure I get through a few more texts. So as you're getting your heroes and your villains sorted out, and I can see Joey in Roville's there, Mick and Belan as well, just some of the texts that came through. Ron Intertura says, Evening Sam, a soft wet lettuce leaf punishment issued by the Eagles to those seven idiots. $2,500 fine is about what they would have spent on that night out. No wonder they're where they are on the ladder. Terrible leadership. Uh, hi, Sammy. I would have thought playing uh, AFL is a privilege, and even more so for the 30th to 44th listed players and top-up players at the Eagles. Much better chance to press your case, but decide to go to a nightclub. Lucky not to be fined more. Shows a level of immaturity and a lack of professionalism. If you're just joining us, Josh Rotham, Jackson Nelson, Jake Waterman, probably the two, three most senior players uh, on that list. Campbell Chesser, Rhett Bazo. Hugh Dixon, Patrick Nash. Dixon and Nash came uh, SPP players. $5,000 fines for heading out uh, to the discos after the 109-point loss to Richmond on the 29th. Uh, they went out on the 30th of April, we're led to believe. Uh, the clubs fined them $5,000. Half of that's been suspended. They said they would have suspended them for games, but uh, they're not in a position to be able to do that. The AFLPA has condemned those fines and do not agree with them. 
uh, and CEO Trevor Nisbet said it was a slap in the face to the club and the playing list. Sam, everyone is heading back to local sport, realising there is more to just sport. It's so easily accessible nowadays that you don't need to be there to enjoy it. Yes, you can't beat being there, but you can be at your kids' sport and still watch it live through their breaks. Oh, so Grant, I asked the question before, why are we not getting back to the footy um, as quickly as I think the game would hope and the teams would hope? Um, I thought we'd get 80,000 on Saturday to... Richmond and Collingwood, we only got 64,000. So Grant is killing two birds with one stone. He's going to the kids' sport, and uh, whilst he's watching them, he's also got um, it on his screen, uh, watching his team play. Uh, hi, great show, 6 or 7 on SEN. I used to take my kids to the last quarter in the early 90s. There were always people waiting outside to get in at three-quarter time. With the cost of living these days, for people who can't afford the money, in my opinion, would come to the footy at three-quarter time if the AFL should reintroduce opening the gates and turnstiles. P.S. Sometimes the last quarter is the best quarter when it's a close game. George Sheep is a Saints fan in Hopper's Crossing. Uh, there's a few more coming through as well, which I'll get to as many of those uh, as possible. one 736 736 The Harcourt's open line is exactly that. Let us get in to our heroes and villains for the Monday night. Heroes and villains on a Monday night, uh, it's as tale as old as time. As I mentioned, there's always a hero, there's always a villain when it comes to sport, and it's a bit of fun to figure out who was who and who fell into which categories on a Monday after a big weekend of sport. Uh, I was going to open the bowling, but there's a lot of people lining up to, to do exactly that, so far be it from me to take the limelight from you. Uh, Joey and Roville to kick us off with a new ball. Joey, hello, mate. G'day, Sammy. How are you, my Hawthorne friend? Oh, look... <laughs> wondering what on earth happened. Wondering yeah, what on earth happened, Joe. I was I was at home. I was with uh, I was on the phone to one of my best mates, who's an Essendon fan, and I thought we're pretty much home and hosed. I might give him a call, and we'll watch the last quarter on the phone together. I, I wish <laughs> I didn't do that. I really wish <laughs> I didn't do that. What did you make of it? Um. Well, you know, we've got to learn how to play four quarters, Sam, because mm. uh, we did the same thing against Sydney. I mean, if the game was uh, made up of three quarters, we'd probably be five and three right now. We just need to go to extra journey and play four quarters instead of three because... But the encouraging sign is for us, Sam, we're still in the uh, chance to win games, yeah? We're not, like, getting blown out of the water. We're right into it up and in, even to the last quarter, which I think is a good sign. But uh, I've got a hero. Yes, please. Say, yeah, is, uh, my hero is Sam Mitchell for just keep backing in these young kids playing in the midfield. You know, Joshua, Ward, uh, Newcomb. And you can see now, I think, why um, Tom Mitchell, Jager, Amir, all these type of guys were on the trade table last year because you can see what uh, Sammy's plans are, long-term plans. Yep. And obviously the, my villain is Hawthorne not being able to finish off the game, like, like I said before, yeah, playing four quarters. I think, But there is a lot of good signs. I mean, I'm not upset. Would have loved to beat the old arch enemy, but unfortunately just weren't good enough on the night. Yeah, well said. 
can't disagree with any of that. Uh, eight goal to one final term and five late changes going into that game for Essendon. So they had a horrible prep coming in. They'd been right under the microscope of a lot of people in the build-up that only won the one game for the season uh, after making finals last year. And, and they deserve a hero nomination, uh, absolutely. And it was a win that was built off pressure. They actually started to apply some real pressure defensively for the first time I can remember seeing this year. They ran hard and um, there there was really a a lot to like uh, about the way in which they came back. They realised what was at stake. They realised what was happening. They realised that they could not go down to Hawthorne without mounting some kind of fight. And Peter Wright kicking six. Uh, That was fantastic. Gary Lyons spoke about that today um, and about Nick Hines' role uh, in that comeback win. Nick Hind was symptomatic of what they wanted to do in this game. Give him the ball and let him do what he does. Run, take ground, take territory. And I saw him against the Western Bulldogs, whose defence is still question markable, refused to kick to Peter Wright. He refused to go forward and kick into the area that Peter Wright was in last week. And now, for whatever reason, move quick, get it going, go forward, not sideways. Peter Wright gets a one-out look. Pretty cool. A lot of pride, I think, for real is. Um, you know, well, I think we had five late changes and the guys that pushed to the line and then sometimes a fair bit of courage in making the call not to play as well. You know, and I think that, you know, the, guide made, the guys made really clear, responsible, team-first decisions. And then there's also the guys that stepped up and, and played on late notice and came out and performed. So they're some of the really, really nice stories that there is within this, this game. So that was Gary Lyon and then Ben Rutten um, after the game. Uh, eight goals to one in the final term. Five late changes. Devin Smith played despite previously being ruled out with a two-plus-week knee injury. They got Smith in. Francis Zerk, Thatcher, Ham, Baldwin, Lord was the sub for debut. Ridley went out. Waterman, Durham, Kelly and Guelphie. And I reckon that Dylan Shield should get a little hero nomination as well. He was dropped for maybe only running in one direction, amongst a few other things that would have been brought up when he was told that he was dropped. Yes, he got the reprieve that we thought was a little bit, little bit lily-livered, a little bit, you know, having a, your cake and eating it too, that he got the reprieve to be the medical sub. But he's clearly taken that on board. I think he had six tackles in that game, played through injury, and got a few knocks to the knee and wasn't in 100% nick. But uh, I thought he showed a real desperation uh, as well in that game and should be commended for copping it on the chin. I think he's had a $900,000 a year player. So um, to, to, to suffer that whack... He looks like he's responded in the right way. Uh, one three hundred seven three six seven three six heroes and villains. Mick in Belan. Hello, Mick. G'day, Sammy. How you going, mate? Oh, top of the world. How could I be yes, any mate. better getting to speak to you and anyone else that calls in to talk some footy and uh, on a Monday night? So I'm great. What well, about you? I haven't called you for haven't called you for a while, mate. So yeah, I was, I was just thinking that. Wall, but, I thought, uh, what have I done to Mick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. Yeah, no, first of all, the, the membership, um, when that guy rang up saying, you know, you mentioned Collingwood, well, we're not, well, we only get the 64th hours. And, well, you, fa- you failed to tell him that uh, it was Richmond's home game and a lot of supporters have got home game memberships. As myself, I've got a Collingwood home game membership. Mm. And Richmond, Richmond were out of the eight, so they really don't show up when they're out of the oh. eight. If it had been Collingwood's home, Collingwood home game, mate, it would have got 80,000. Anyway. Shots anyway, fired, Nick. Shots fired they from did, you. They, they did win. So my heroes for the for the week is 
got to be the Melbourne Storm, mate. How good are they going? <laughs> How good are they going? Yeah, what was it? Uh, a record <laughs> held since... It's very sharp stuff, Mick. Uh, I like that. Uh, 1936, I think the re- they've got more points to this stage of the season than any team uh, since 1936. That record's been held, the Melbourne Storm. They are absolutely flying. Uh, they kept St George just to the six points, and they put another 40-odd on the board themselves after putting up big numbers over the last few weeks as well. So they just continue to they just continue to do the right things, the Melbourne Storm, in terms of on the field. I know they had a few things going wrong off-field, but they just... Craig Bellamy. And what he's, I think when you... They'll throw up some names one day, um, and they'll say, who were the greatest coaches... And combine them all in. Greatest coaches of all time. And there'll there'll be some nominations from each sport. I think Craig Bellamy ends up... I know Wayne Bennett's won more premierships, but I think Craig Bellamy would get the nod, just about. Just for how consistent the Melbourne Storm teams have been under his guidance. They are... They, they are something else, Melbourne Storm. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, Steve's in Hurstbridge. Hero and a villain, Steve. Who have you got for me? Okay, Hero, um, Tommy Lynch is finally doing what we paid him for. Yeah. Uh, he's been missing for a couple of years. Um, hopefully, it's not a flash in a pan. Um, I'm still a little bit uh, loath to put him in my stupid coach. <laughs> well, he's had, um, what, what's he kicked? He's kicked 13 goals in the last two weeks. He's had 11 contested marks over the last two. He's leading the Coleman at the moment. Um, he had 14 score involvements on the weekend. So he got the fill-up, didn't he, against West Coast. He got played back into form. But, yeah. you know, Darcy Moore was one of the best young defenders in the competition, and, and he gave him a little touch-up, uh, did Tom Lynch. Yeah. So that's that's a test of sterner stuff, and he and he passed it with flying colours. And on with you, to see him doing what they... You know, there was excuses made for him last year that, oh, the stand rule hasn't helped him. That was all rubbish, we know. Um, but, yeah. yeah, he's absolutely flying at the minute, and Richmond are a much yeah. better team, much, much better team when, when he is. Yep. Now my villain, and every team has their really poor six or a poor six, bottom six, whatever you want to call it. Um, we were about 40 points up into the last quarter against Collingwood, and Soldo gets a free kick in the ruck. Now everybody's visualising the ball down where Lynch is. He kicks it into the man of the mark. Four goals later to the opposition, and with him fumbling and doing a few other um, giveaway frees, if that was a tight match, that would have cost us. Um, that was really, really poor. Nobody should ever kick into the man of the mark. Um, and, you know, that that was going down for probably another goal. And that really would have... Well, it was finished anyway, but... The, but the thing was, a top player just shouldn't do that. And that's my um, gong for the, for the week for that bloke. Hey, Steve, I appreciate you putting the thoughts into it. Uh, de- demanding a high standard, uh, and I like it. Uh, it's a, I think those are ones where you don't need to say anything to the player. The player, you know, th- those are just the little things, the little faux pas on the footy field. Those are the, in the list of things that should never happen, which is not a bad talk topic. What are the things that you should never see a professional footy player do? Kicking into the marks, probably one of them. Um, but so no one will be feeling worse than uh, Big Avant. Uh, he would have um, he would have taken out. He would have sort of gone uh, the um, Da Vinci Code monk 
the self-flagellation with the rope thing on the back. Uh, I'm sure he would have um, given himself a stern talking to, found a mirror to look into. Uh, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. your heroes and villains. Our old mate Muzza in Geelong. Uh, hello, Muzz. Hello. I've got uh, two two heroes and a villain cheeky. Okay. The two heroes are, uh, or three actually, is you for commentating <laughs> yesterday. Oh, putting thank up you. with Michael Barlow. <laughs> um, and I'll get into that in a minute. Right. Second is the, the, the way the Blues are travelling. I'm very happy with, with the way they're going. Yeah, six and, and two, Muzz. First time I'm, since 96, I reckon I heard yeah, today. I That's and, very and, impressive. Yeah, and Charlie Curnow, just to have him back and kicking goals. And if he could have kicked straight, he would have kicked 10, I think, in the third quarter, the way he was going. Yeah, he's flying. Um, he's flying, now, Charlie Curnow. The special comments man. Mickey B, yes. He, he, yeah, he tips the Crows to win by 10. <laughs> yes. And then halfway through the third quarter, he tips Carlton by 110. I wish he could get it right. And, and um, you know, I wondered what was in his orange juice that he was drinking. He was a bit confused, I think. Well, if we could always get him right, Muzz, we wouldn't need to turn up for work. We know that. It's know, uh, not mate. an exact science. But, but you know what? I'm being, yeah, no, I know. I know like I'm it. Being, you know, I'm being cheeky. But, no, I know. Um, I, I think it's great to hear a lady commentate with you. That's awesome. Oh, she's brilliant. Jo Watton is a, is yeah, a star. She is. So she killed it with Channel 7 in the AFLW. She's been with AFL Nation for a while as well. And I haven't had the pleasure of calling with her for a little while now. And I was rapt to see that we were able to do the game together uh, on the weekend. Yeah, she's fantastic. Well, that was awesome. Awesome bringing it into my lounge room. I, could, I knew every bump and what have you and... Um, you know, it was lovely from both of you and Mickey Barlow. Well, he just tried to put commentary in the wrong end, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going to be up uh, at 7.30, Muzz, so we'll, we'll we'll bring some of these things up with him, my friend. Always great to chat to you uh, and appreciate your kind words. To me, anyway, uh, not not so much for my man, <laughs> Michael Barlow, who will be with us after 7.30, Now, this has come through off the text. Um Sam, last season I told you why I couldn't afford to go to the footy to see my beloved Richmond, and you roasted me. Now you want to know why. Which is it, pal? Um, I don't remember ever roasting anyone who says to me that they can't go to the footy because they can't afford it. I, I, and if you felt in any way, shape, or form to that person that uh, that, that I was anything less than understanding and, and um, empathetic towards you, when you, I don't remember you ringing to make that call, but if that's your... Um, if that's your recollection of our exchange, and I wholeheartedly apologise to you because I would never intentionally give the impression I'd be judging someone who took the time to ring up first and foremost, but then also to say that, hey, I can't get to the footy because it's too expensive. I, I wouldn't have been dismissive uh, of that intentionally, and I hope, as as my stance has always been, that that's something the AFL needs to take very, very seriously. Um, people being unable to afford to get to the footy and the costs associated with not just getting tickets, but the whole experience. So uh, I just wanted to read that one out because I think it's important to own those things. And if that was how you felt after we spoke, then I unreservedly apologize to you. And I hope uh, that you give me a call uh, again and we can have more of a chat. But thank you for sending that text in. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Sporting Capital, Heroes and Villains, off to a very, very sharp start. I've got a few up my sleeve too before Michael Barlow joins us next. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Some heroes and villains from me before Michael Barlow joins me in about five minutes' time. I want to start off with Sam Doherty. This is incredibly inspiring. 
this is, I mean, I think he might end up being, if we do the total years, heroes and villains, I think he might even win that. Second bout of testicular cancer. This is just inspirational. He's in career best form. If they did the All-Australian team now, he would be making it. It's not just the 28 disposals, 430 metres. He's averaging seven intercepts. It, he's doing all the tough stuff. Last year, he was criticised for not defending, and I think he's really taken that on board this year, despite having so many other things that he's having to deal with, which we know all about. But he is just lifting his team, inspiring his team. A lot of talk about Paddy Cruz, but Sam Doherty, I mean, it's hard not to get emotional thinking about it um, and talking about it, but he is the hero's hero um, and, and just power to him. Key forwards, more bags from key forwards. Wright, Lynch, Kerno, always six. Uh, Jeremy Cameron got five. Norton got four. Cameron and McCluggage, who I know aren't key forwards, but kicked four as well. Uh, so hero nominations for key forwards kicking big bags. Um, Dusty's return too. Congrats to Dusty for, for getting back out there. We were fearful that maybe we'd seen the last of him and hoping that we certainly hadn't. But to get two goals, he had 11 score involvements as well. They were just, they're just... I mean, it sounds stupid to say, and and but they are just better with him in that side. And I'll tell you who else Richmond are, are better in the side with is Morris Rioli Jr. Three goal assists, six score involvements, eight contested possessions out of his 14, kicked three the week before, but he was just a magnet uh, to watch. Your eyes are just drawn to him, and once he figures out that he can get everybody on skates inside forward 50, then he is going to tear teams apart. It it felt like seeing uh, a, a Rioli that used to run around in brown and gold. Uh, it was so much fun to watch. He is going to bring people to the game because he is exciting. Very, very exciting. And I'm okay with Dusty not doing media on his return. If he didn't feel comfortable, then he didn't feel comfortable. I don't, I'm not comfortable that he never does media, but I understand why he's not at the moment. Hopefully we get to hear from him at some stage, though, because I'm sure the Richmond fans would love to in some capacity, and so would all footy fans. The Suns, I reckon, that's their best win of the year. That's a hero nomination for me, and no Noah Anderson either, who's their second best mid. They led all game. They're Sydney's bogey side now. They won three out of the last four, and for Rory Thompson to play his first game in 1,379 days, round 19, 2018, two ACLs, that's a phenomenal performance uh, as well. So a hero nomination to him. We've spoken about Essendon. We've spoken about the Blues. Sam Kerr's two goals. Another golden boot for her. She clinches Chelsea that title. The Storm we've spoken about. Celtic under Ange. Pretty much have wrapped it up. The victory might even wrap up uh, being top of the table. So a hero nomination for them unless City win tonight. Port Adelaide three in a row. There's a hero nomination for them. I've got a few villains that I want to get through as well on the other side, but we'll get Michael Barlow up to share some of his as well and keep sending yours through to Sporting Capital SEN. You're listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, Welcome back or to the Sporting Capital, depending on which category you fit in. If you're just joining us for the first time, uh, welcome. Great to have you on board Monday night. So it's all about your heroes and your villains from the weekend in sport. 1-300-736-736 to give me your nominations or 0433-981116 on the temper text. Temper, a mattress like no other. I mentioned before that Melbourne victory after having a couple of real shambolic seasons in the A-League. Uh, a two points clear at the top of the table at the moment. Uh, and if Melbourne City are to go down to Wellington Phoenix tonight, then victory will get the Premier's plate. But 
16-minute mark, Melbourne City 2-0. Make it the 24-minute mark, Melbourne City 2-0 over the Wellington Phoenix. Both scores have come from corners inside the first 10 minutes. The game is live on uh, the SEN app, SEN Fanatic, and on SENZ. If City win, they get the Premier's plate, the minor premiership. Otherwise, it will be Melbourne victory. Uh, 1-300-736-736. Michael Barlow to join me in just a moment. Another hero you've got to give a nomination to the Sydney Kings. They're 2-0 up in the best of five NBL Grand Final Series over everybody's uh, second favourite team, uh, the Tassie Jack Jumpers. And for some people, their favourite uh, team. One of the great underdog and Cinderella stories uh, of modern times, of all times, really, in Australian sport. Uh, things not going well for them at the minute. Uh, Sydney, without Jalen Adams, the uh, league MVP, were able to get the job done in a close one. DJ Vasiljevic um, was able to get a late triple uh, to put them out to a four-point lead. What is disturbing and disappointing is to hear uh, Dion Vasiljevic talking about this after the game. Yeah, yeah, personal jobs, you know, after jabs after the game, there's people sliding in the DMs, telling, you know, you know, sending death threats and other stuff. So but that's just the life of professional athletes, I guess. I, you know, we perform and we just we're able to just walk away from stuff like that and, and not worry about people. I'm a professional athlete. I'll just delete the message and laugh at it and, and go about my business. That's just, it's just woeful. If if. And it would only be a very small section, uh, a very few of, of the fantastic Tassie Jack Jumpers fans. But that's how you very quickly lose the public sentiment that is so heavily in your favour at the moment by carrying on like that and sending a player who's just doing his job death threats after you lose a game at home. So a Villa nomination to those fans uh, of Tassie. And I'm sure they're not even real Tassie Jack Jumpers fans. I mean, they're just um, sort of pond scum people uh, who've got nothing better to do and no real life of their own. Uh, but hopefully, um, if you do know uh, of any fan who engages in any of that kind of stuff, then you, you call it out and, and you put a stop to it. It's sport. It's a game at the end of the day. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Uh, a couple of villain nominations for me. My standing villain nomination to the AFL for no Thursday night footy and for doubling up games. Um, why would you want a million people watching the game? And and why would you try and halve and and divide an audience uh, and cannibalise your own product? I don't get it. I don't understand it. I never will. Um, so the villain nomination, the standing villain nomination that I have each week for the AFL for their lack of Thursday night footy consistently and for doubling up games, playing them at the same time. Um, I also, I didn't get to talk about this last week, but it hasn't sat comfortably with me either. And I know that it was discussed all through last week and I don't want to, and this is not to question the credentials, the capability, the credibility, or, or take away the agency of Kylie Rogers, who's the acting CEO. But something didn't sit comfortably with me that after the heinous revelations that came to light uh, in Sam Landsberger's story in uh, the Herald Sun about the treatment of women umpires in community footy, and that report that uh, has been sort of kept from the public for a substantial amount of time, it didn't sit right to me that Kylie Rogers had to apologise for the actions of men uh, to the women who had been subjected to it after a decision was made mainly by a group of men not to reveal said revelation. That should have been Gil. It should have been a Zoom. He should have been on the phone, on screen, from wherever he is in the US to fully take ownership and take charge of that. It didn't sit comfortably with me that Kylie Rogers had to do that without taking away her credentials, her capability, credit, not questioning any of that. 
it just did not sit comfortably with me. It loses. That doesn't pass the pub test to me that she had to do that. And the AFL has got some work to do in that space. Uh, a villain nomination, another one to the AFL. Sabrina Frederick has spoken about this with Lauren Woods in the Herald Sun. It, it is just a disgrace. It's embarrassing that we haven't got it sorted about when the AFLW season started. Tentatively, it's supposed to be at the end of August, but we're just hearing crickets. When are these? When are the players even supposed to turn up for pre-season? They have lives, they have jobs, they have families that are all just sitting, waiting, just hanging in the balance. It's, it's blatantly disrespectful. Um, they have jobs, they have lives, they need some notice. They don't know how much they're getting paid, don't know what we can do in terms of trade, in terms of draft. And if you wanted to have the showdown round one, if they're going to start on that last weekend of August, well, bad luck because rugby has jumped in and taken that weekend. So if you wanted to have Port Adelaide playing Adelaide in the first their first game ever in the AFLW, well, you're going to have to do it on a Thursday night, despite you telling the players they'd never have to play other than the weekends, given they're semi-professional. But that hasn't lasted very long. So the fact that we're still hearing crickets about the AFLW season... Um, there are country footy teams that, that do a longer preseason. What these guys, uh, what these um, athletes are going to get, it's just not good enough. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. It's just, yeah, it, it, you have to treat people with just a modicum of respect, and and this isn't doing that. One three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. I've got a few more, but Michael Barlow has jumped on the line. Uh, a good friend, an AFL Nation commentator, uh, former Docker, former Sun, the unofficial Michael Barlow Cup. They play for that every year. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, do you know what what round is that, Mickey B? When you got to go present the cup? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not actually sure at the moment when that game. Is I, I actually watched it last year and it was the worst game of football I've ever seen. <laughs> Frio versus Gold Coast. Uh, from memory, I watched it from a pub in Williamstown um, for some reason. Um, maybe because I was thirsty and it was Saturday afternoon, but it was a horror show. So hopefully it's a bit better this year. Well, I would hope so, given that we're playing that uh, game in your honour. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, have you got a hero and a villain from round eight for me? Um, well, we'll start with the hero... Oh, it could be I was a villain as well. Well, well, the villain of the of the fortnight, from, from my point of view, being having lived in Perth for seven years um, and frequented this place, not as often as some people uh, that move to WA and enjoy the social side of things do, is the Hippie Club there in Leederville, um, of which has just found out a few younger AFL athletes in the COVID-stricken state of WA. So it's been the villain for mine over the last couple of weeks. So your 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 villain nominations to the venue, not the players. Um, yeah, the the, the venue <laughs> always had this uh, this ability to have a negative connotation to it after the fact. In in the moment, Sam, and I'm sure you've been to to venues around Bendigo and around Melbourne and wherever you like to socialise. That at the time, it's the best idea in the world. But it's one of those discussions on a Monday morning if you're chatting to one of your Colleagues at, at the workplace uh, in Perth, and you say, well, how was your weekend? Where'd you go? And you say, hippie club. Um, it's obvious, often said with a, an, an in, just an ounce of regret. So that is the villain <laughs> for mine. Oh, that's very good insight uh, from you. Um, are you a bit shocked that those players found themselves in that situation? What was your take? Because the AFLPA have come out and said they don't agree with the fines. $5,000, yeah. half that's suspended. I don't know if the PA are reading the room on that one, or maybe they don't have quite the understanding of what's going on in Perth and, and with the Eagles and just how dire it's been for them. But yeah, I think yeah. that sort of missed the mark a little bit with all due respect. What did you make of it? 
Yeah, no, I'd agree with Sam. To be honest, all all jokes aside, it's um, something I'm actually looking to write a little article about tomorrow for the West Australian newspaper. Oh, hello. Is, um, is exactly that, that these players at the moment, um, yeah, wound up like bottle tops at the best of times. So to throw in COVID and, and restrictions and, and real limitations on your life, um, which WA at the moment, uh, there's the old... Oh, there's, there's the argument, I suppose, at the moment. WA, the athletes over there, you know, it might be um, considered a, a bit of them repaying what they haven't had to do for a couple of years because for a long part of last year, WA athletes and, and Frio and West Coast footballers would have lived a normal life, essentially, um, within WA being really, really normal um, and not having a huge amount of COVID restrictions. So maybe it's the period where they are looking to um, yeah, do their do their due diligence and, and sit aside. But for mine, um, yeah, these guys, are, like I said, right off the top, they're wound up like bottle tops. If it's not going out and socialising, what are, what other damage could they be doing? You know, within their own mental health and well-being and, and their own lives, if if um, you know such such liberties are, are pulled away from them and restricted from them. Yeah, Trevor Nisbet saying today that it was a slap in the face, um, the actions of those seven players to coach Adam Simpson and the club and to their fellow players as well. And it, it, it's hard to, to argue with that. Um, and to just to get a little bit more sold into the womb, with the, the Dockers flying, it would make it all the less palatable for West Coast Eagles fans. And we spoke to um, Mark Duffield earlier about just what their expectations tend to be year in, year out, and obviously not meeting it at the moment. Uh, Heath Chapman, the rising star from the Dockers. So all things coming up purple, um, but for the team in blue and gold, it's it's really dire, and this just makes a bad season even worse. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly right, isn't it? In terms of a bad season, so right now there's something's got to give. And, mm. and for players, they, they got trounced by 100 points on, on the Friday night. and I, I know the feeling after a game and a really poor performance. You... The last thing you really want to be doing is is sitting and staring at the wall or, or watching TV or yeah, winding yourself up to the point where you don't have a release. So not to say that you know, going out to a nightclub and and probably overindulging and staying till all hours is the right way, but what these restrictions on these players will do over there is actually set make them second guess. Maybe going for a coffee. You know, where does that sit in time? Maybe going. Mm. You know, what is it? Are they allowed to go to a pub and have three or four beers responsibly with a couple of mates and and go home? If not, then I think that's a real concern because um, yeah, the risk is there obviously to get COVID and, and bring your club which under which a bit happened, of pressure. which actually did yeah. happen. Yeah, so um, yeah, there's there's a fair bit to unpack with with what's going on at West Coast at the moment. Trio, from my understanding, that not having a, a huge uh, insight into the inner sanctum, but having enough of an understanding of of what's going on there? They're very. Uh, I think I, I spoke to a, an employee there recently that said, you know, they'd be winning the gold medal in terms of COVID compliance for the last couple of years. The way they're handling and, and looking to, to give themselves every opportunity. So, to the point, Sam, that they still haven't asked me to do a jumper presentation. They won't let any any outsider into the club 
to do a jumper presentation um, with the risk of COVID. So oh, that's that'll, just, give uh... that, that'll give you an insight into how seriously they're taking it. Well, that's just the excuse they're giving you. <laughs> yes, I think the latter. I, th- I actually think the latter. No, it'd be an honour for any young player to receive it from you. Uh, and, and I mean that with all sincerity. Uh, what about a hero nomination from the round? Well, I, I want to go with that side of town. I'm bringing the, the West Australian theme to to the night sure. um, right now. But, yeah, the, the, my, my hero for, for right now is Andrew Brayshaw. Um, you know, I think I think on the third line or something in terms of um, in terms of Brownlow medal, medal um, possibilities for the year at the moment. Paddy Cripps, we watched him live yesterday, and he Ooh, looks yeah. like one that's going to be hard to beat, even though he didn't get the three votes on AFL Nation's... Uh, Commentary yesterday. That's controversial. For Charlie Kerno. Controversial, <laughs> to say the least. But Andy Brayshaw, um, yep. I think he, he absolutely is getting the, the credit he deserves in terms of, of the player he is and, and will become. Um, but, yeah, he, he's an outstanding young man, an outstanding young leader. And you watch the players, how much they celebrate each other's successes yeah. in yep. game and, and all that. It's been a trademark of, of what Justin Longmuir has built and a, a player like... Um, Andy Brayshaw and to a lesser extent Caleb Sarong they're, they're, they're really noticeable when I watch them a lot they're the two that really drive that connection and care for each other they really stuck to their guns I admire that they've they've been able to develop now an ethos a set of values principles whatever it is culture we throw any of those words around that you want but Frio clearly have that They've established, he's, uh, Justin Longmuir has been able to establish that since he's been there. They stuck to their guns on Chera. They said, hey, we'd love you to be We love you. But this is what we can we'll want to be able to pay you. And if that's not good enough, well, you leave with our best wishes and good luck with all your future pursuits. They didn't break the bank to keep him, which I think clubs make the mistake of doing because they don't like the optics of a player leaving. So you've got to be confident in what you're doing and, and comfortable in what you're trying to set up. They've done exactly that. Fascinating to see what they do with when Nat Fife returns for you. I mean, they they've only lost one game for the year. So do they? I mean, Nat Fife wants to play midfield. He said that, but where do you see him fitting in best? Because at the moment, the cohesion in the middle mm. is brilliant. And Nat Fife, a two-time yeah. Brownlow Medal winner, so of course he's a walk-up start. But yeah. you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater if you if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly right. And- I think Paddock Cripps is, is on another level at the moment to any other player in the competition. But Nat Fife, um, you know, Paddock Cripps for mine is you know, Nat Fife 2.0 for when Nat was at his absolute best. So mm. that level is, you know, right now out of reach for, for Fifey, but that's the level he can get to. So they're going to find a way to put him in. Um, and, and it will be around the ball um, with a pinch forward. And again, just using that comparison to, to Paddy Cripps, Watching him live with you yesterday, that the ability of him just to just to slip forward and play forward for three or four minutes and be really dangerous, and then work his way back up in the midfield, um, is something that would be pretty palatable for but, the Fremantle Football Club if if Nat Five can come back and um, and implement himself in that side. Who does he go in for though? They're yeah, going to find so, a way. So how do they make that work though, Mickey B? You were part of a midfield that and my, and and Nat Five spoken about this that he's able to have the success he's had because of people, the work people have done for him and around him to release him and cover for him. A little bit like what Lambert does for Dusty. Um, you've been involved in that as, as well as just racking up uh, huge numbers in your own right. But so now he comes back into a midfield that's playing really well in the way that they're doing. Did, did, did they revert to type and go back to, well, we all now cover for Nat? Or do they say, okay, Nat, 
you're going to have to fit into this system as opposed to going back to the yep. old. Yeah, and he'll be fitting into the system. Absolutely, I, I have no no doubt around that. So he'll be he'll be coming in and fitting into to what they've already established. The the personnel will be intriguing in time because you know probably even up till three or four weeks ago, the easy option would be, all right, Will Brody, you've been great, love what you, you you're going to be great depth for us, but out you go. So he's um, up in the stratosphere at the moment in terms of form. He had 37 on Friday night against the underwhelming North Melbourne, but they will find a way in for him. He'll play midfield forward, um, you know, probably 70, 30, I'd say. Uh, where does that leave um, the rest of the mix? It'll be an interesting watch, um, and I won't go out on a limb and to say who the one to go out will. It definitely won't be Sagong. It definitely won't be Brayshaw. Um, you know, Will Brody, <laughs> as well as he's going, uh, would want to keep going well because if Nat Fife comes back and is fit and available and, and you just dip that little bit, um, you, you leave yourself really vulnerable, of which Justin Longmuir has spoken at length about that in terms of even COVID. If you get COVID at the moment, um, I think Blake Akers was an example last week, went out, you know, arguably all Australian form, and you know, Justin Longmuir says, you know, if James Ace comes in and does the job to that level, it's going to be hard to, to flush um, Ace out and Akers in. So a bit happening, um, of which, yeah, they'll find a way, uh, and that fight will... Yeah, nice little cherry on top of that cake. They've already got uh, got baking uh, at Fremantle. Hey, Mickey B, I want to ask you about North Melbourne. And you've, in your career, you've been at, at the top of the AFL table. You've played in a grand final. You've had minor premierships with um, with Fremantle. But you've seen the other side of the coin too, and that's exactly where North Melbourne find themselves. I'm really alarmed because I'm a big Dave Noble fan, but I'm really alarmed by the fact that they've conceded 100-plus points five out of the last six weeks. They're 18th for contested possession, 18th for post-clearance contested possession, but they're getting, they're getting thumped in the disposal count, but they're also losing the tackle count by a long way, and that's where you start to wonder about buy-in, intensity, intent around the ball. How big of an alarm is that for you, that for the last three weeks they've been minus 100 in disposals, but they've been well beaten in the tackle count as well? Yeah, watching the game um, on Friday night, that that was visible, wasn't it? In terms of sort of look, boys against men, mm. and those those that were men for North Melbourne looked uh, a yard to two off it. You know, some of their the, the issue with North at the moment is they haven't had the elevation of some of their top enders, top end draftees in the last couple of years that they would have really liked. I think Will Phillips may be in the twos. Um, young Powell might be. Uh, also kind of out of favour at the moment. So there's a couple of high-enders in that program that mm. they're making work for it, which I, I actually like that aspect of it because yep. you know it's, there's no entitlement to, to walk into a program and um, chalking up a certain amount of games. And, and then you know then that, for, for mine, the long-term improvement of certain players can, can stagnate as well. So they're making some younger players work for it, but at the expense of... Um, probably some out of form, you know, experienced players that they're having to continue to go to the back of the well with due to due to you know the underwhelming nature of availability and, and form from below. So it's hey. a very much watch this space in terms of um, where North Melbourne are going, and I think all of us hope for the best for them. Absolutely. Hey, got to let you go, Mickey B, Michael Barlow. We're about to crash into an ad break, uh, but mate, always love your work. Uh, love being with you on Sunday and thanks for your time tonight. We'll speak to you again very soon. Back to tidy up the hour before we hand up to BP on the other side of this on the Sporting Capital. 
You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Before we hand over to BP, a couple of your heroes and villains coming off the text. My villain has to be the MRP for not even sitting. Jesse Hogan, complete joke. That's from Baz. Yeah, no case to answer for that fend from Hogan. Uh, no case to answer for Paddy Cripp. Shane McAdam had a collision uh, with Boyd in midair. No case to answer there. Um, but Jones got a $2,000 fine for the strike on uh, Clayton Oliver after he tunneled Langdon. There was no case to answer there. Uh, Morris is going to be a superstar. That's from Melissa. Couldn't agree more. Morris Rioli Jr. He elevates others. He makes other players better, and they are some of my favorite players. Uh, this off the text from Nick. Hero Darcy Parrish, after copping it, 32 disposals, 7 tackles. The villains, the numbnut supporters in the members, Bombers and Hawks, that needed to fight at the footy in front of a 16-year-old daughter. Idiots. Yeah, couldn't have said it any better, Nick. It really pisses me off when I see that happen. If you can't get through a game of footy without getting into a fight, then you just don't go. Uh, off the text, who was the Adelaide player that took a great mark in the last quarter? You called it so well, other than... It was the wrong play. Yes, villain nomination for me. I ruined Shane McAdams' mark. I took the Bushnells down, and it was Josh Rochelle, and I absolutely botched it. It wasn't a bad call, other than the fact that I got the player completely wrong, but there's no excuse for that. It's not good enough. I will uh, do better, and I have beaten myself up uh, over the last 24 hours substantially. Uh, BP is up next, and I'll be back with you at 9 o'clock. Pete Hooley's going to talk NBL with me. We'll cover off on anything that we haven't got to just yet. Stick around. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Well, Sydney have almost got both hands on the trophy for this NBL season. Pete Hawley's going to come and talk game one, game two, and what can Tassie do to get themselves back in this? Uh, yes, indeed. Welcome back to the Sporting Capital. Another cracking edition of the first serve from BP. Another hour to spend with you. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 The number to call. The Harcourt's open line is always exactly that. Uh, Sam Hargraves with you. Heroes and villains on a Monday night. If you didn't get a chance to get your nominations through earlier, you've got an hour to do so now. one three hundred seven three six seven three six or zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen on the temper text. Temper uh, a mattress like no other. Uh, news from an A League perspective tonight: Melbourne Victory were sitting top of the table. They just needed Melbourne City to lose or draw their final game of the season against uh, Wellington Phoenix. Unfortunately, for Victory fans, it's been a wonderful return for Victory fans and the club to uh, the pointy end of the A-League table. But uh, a 2-1 victory to Melbourne City. They got both their goals in the opening 10 minutes from corners. Sees them win their... Is that their... Now, Jordan will be able to tell me this. Is that their third consecutive Premier's plate? It's definitely two in a row. And I'm wondering whether it's three in a row. But you'll be able to tell me off the text. 0433 Eleven sixteen, or you can give me a call one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The heroes and villains, you can get those in as well. But uh, before we do that, 
Probably the biggest story uh, out of the weekend was the Sydney King going 2-0 up in the grand final series, the best of five series. Uh, game one was Friday night, 95-78 uh, in favour of the Kings at home, 17-point win. Game two without uh, league MVP Jalen Adams was an 86-90 to loss for the Jack Jumpers. They went had a 16-22 to final quarter. And their shooting in that final quarter was pretty darn awful. Uh, they were one of four for two, and they were four of 14 for three. In the end, DJ Vasiljevic hit a big-time three-pointer to get them four points in front with precious seconds left, and they were able to hang on, get that victory, and they head back to Sydney for Wednesday night's game three, and it could all be done and dusted by them. Uh, I only speak to one person when it comes to all things MBL, and uh, that is our very good friend, Pete Hooley, who's been good enough to jump on the line. Pete, hello, mate. Hey, mate. How are you? I'm very well. Hey, what have you made of these uh, first couple of games? Obviously, the Kings were dominant in game one, and everybody gave Tassie a really big chance, especially with no Jalen Adams, but um, they just didn't get enough from their bench. Uh, They got 36 points from Adams, um, and then it wasn't much apart from him. And they just could not get anything going in that final quarter. And, and Sydney were able to get the lead after Tassie led all through the game. Uh, and they were able to steal it late. Yeah, look, I mean, it was it was Tassie's game, the season on the line, really, when you think about it. No team's ever come back from being down 2-0 in a five-game series. But having said that, it probably sets up for the perfect storyline for Tasmania if any team was going to do it after what they've done this season. But, yeah, they had every chance. They kind of fired all their bullets in that game. And just a couple of the shot selection in the last four or so minutes, uh, probably they'd want back. But besides that, they still had plenty of opportunity to win the game. Josh Adams made two huge threes before Vasiljevic hit his three. And I'm sure it's a tough way to lose on your home floor, but now you've got to just find a way to take one game at a time and first worry about Wednesday night and try and steal one. Yeah, brilliant effort from Sydney, as you mentioned, and they, they sort of shared the load, didn't they, with Cooks at 20 and 11, and DJ had 20, Martin had 20 and 10, and, and DJ at the end came up big. I just want to ask you, what did you think when you heard the comments that he made after that since making that shot, he's actually received some death threats, which is really unsavoury. It's, it's, I mean, it just sort of breaks your heart that players are still subjected to rubbish like this. And and what you hope is that that wasn't from actual Tassie Jack Jumpers fans because they've enjoyed such an incredible first up season. The fans have really made the experience if they pack out their home court week in, week out to enjoy this incredible ride in just their first ever NBL season. But that's really concerning. I mean, it's concerning in every sport, uh, to be honest. But you heard him, what DJ came out and said that he got those messages and just deleted them and we'll laugh and move on. But the issue is it's it's happened in every sport now, that uh, whether it starts on, on social media. But the, I think initially it started with DJ's response to the fans in the venue. And anytime you hit a big shot like that and the way that Tassie was getting stuck into Sydney as they do, any, time, any team, the emotions are going to flow. And uh, I think it was all part of the game. That's just part of the atmosphere you hit. He hit probably the biggest shot of his career, so he's going to feel good about that. Uh, and then afterwards, yeah, it's it's really something that we'd, we'd love to see stamped out of, of all sport, but I'm not sure how we do it because with social media, people hide behind troll accounts, fake accounts, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty disgusting just to, to hear some of them. I had plenty of them when I was playing. that still goes around, and especially when people 
bring family into it. That's what the one thing that it just doesn't need to be done. And I think really the only thing we can do in in terms of it being at the venue is hold each other accountable. If you if you're sitting next to someone and you hear something that's not right, you just got to let someone know, and then they'll start dishing out a couple bands you know, here and there, and that's the only way we can try and stamp it out for now. Yeah, I'd be really surprised if they were actual Tassie Jack Jumpers fans. Uh, and, and anyone engaging in that sort of behaviour, you, you don't have the right to consider yourself a fan because fans are the lifeblood of the game. They're not trying to, they don't try to take away from the game and rip the game down and rip the people involved in the game down. I want to ask you, Pete, Chase Buford had one of the all-time great tanties and put his foot through an LED sign. Now he's got a $375 fine. It was reduced from $500. I'm assuming that on top of that, Larry's sending him the invoice for 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 the for the LED that he's uh, put his size I don't know eleven twelve through. Look, yeah, he's he's very lucky. The referees weren't. It was down. They moved on past, so they didn't actually see what happened. Otherwise, he'd already had a technical foul. So I think he would have picked up a second one there uh, and been out of the game. Um, so I think he's very lucky they didn't see that. And I'm sure, yeah, that that invoice would get sent on. He's also lucky that those LED screens are all split up into little mini panels. So. Mm. He might have got away with what could have been a really more expensive bill. But, yeah, he, uh, he was heated in, in what turned out to be the right call. Uh, he, I mean, as in he was disputing it because he was right, but it's just not the way to go about it in that moment. I'm sure if he had his time back, he'd, he'd want to think that one over. Um, but in the end, it's a good hit. I've ran into those signs before, and it takes a pretty good hit to do any sort of damage to him. Yeah, he really, I don't know if he played uh, soccer in, in a former life, or he might have been a, a, an a American football kicker. But he really had some power behind that. Hey, where do you see Sydney with the advantage? What, I mean, we were a bit stunned. We did uh, we did game three together, you and I, when Tassie were able to win that semifinal series against Melbourne United, and, and we just kept sort of waiting for Melbourne to come, and they and in the end it didn't happen. Um, where do you think that Sydney have got the advantage over Tassie? Oh, just their depth offensively. I think that's where they managed to get the win. Uh, over Melbourne United in the, in the series because you look at Melbourne United offensively, their weapons, uh, we know Chris Gold didn't play the last game, but just over the series, you've got to try and, and combat your offensive weapons against Chris Golding and Joe Luala Chul. Now, he didn't play game three, so really you're just worried about the offensive output of Joe Luala Chul. Then you get to the Sydney Kings team. You've got Jalen Adams, I know he's hurt right now, but then you've got Xavier Cooks with the points on the board, Jarrell Martin, Vasiljevic, Ian Clark. So you've got so many offensive weapons that it's just a different beast uh, than they played in the semifinals. For Tassie, what what have they got? I mean, what what's the number one thing they need to correct first and foremost if there's any chance of taking this beyond game three, Pete? Well, they've got to make their easy shots. They had plenty of opportunities, some wide open ones down the, uh, throughout the game that they didn't make and that forced them into taking some poor shots when things got a little anxious down the stretch and that's playing right into Sydney's hands. And look, it's an almighty challenge to go to Sydney. They're, they're set up to have the uh, the all-time record for a grand final crowd. Kudos Bank Arena, that place will be going pretty crazy after especially all the events over the last few days. Um, so it's going to be an almighty challenge for them to do it. But as we've said, that anytime their back's against the wall, the Jack Jumpers just seem to find a way. So I'm looking forward to watching. I don't know if you've been across um, the events of today and whether you've been following the Liz Cambridge story, um, had jumped onto a, an interview and spoke about how living her best life and not getting any, and how she never got any support from Basketball Australia, from the Opals. Uh, we understand what happened um, in the Nigerian game 
before the Olympics when they were doing their their their, their pre Olympic games, their warm up games in the US, the the the, the fight that was started, and um, it was General Hay that gave some insight into that over the weekend on the Outsiders, uh, confirming what she was asked by Kelly Underwood whether. Um, Liz had said to the Nigerian players, go back to your third world country. Since then, Andrew Bogut said what she really said is much worse. I don't know if you heard Andrew Gaze today, but he really um, came out quite strongly saying that the slurs were actually worse than what was being reported and more disgusting. And he found it highly offensive given he personally had tried to be someone who'd supported Liz over the journey and how he felt her comments were disrespectful to anyone that had pulled on uh, the the Opals or the Boomers or any Australian representative uh, singlet. Have you followed this story, Pete? And, and how are you feeling about it? Yeah, look, I mean, very closely. Um, I'm pretty close with a lot of the Opals girls uh, throughout the the course of their careers, um, I knew them all, uh, a lot of them from uh, state uh, years growing up and you just get in that circle. And, and yeah, obviously anyone who, who was in that basketball circle heard what went down at the time it went down. But again, you see a lot of people now saying, well, why didn't anyone else like Andrew Gaze or anyone who knows anything like Bogut come out and, and say what happened? But unfortunately, I mean, it went to an investigation. It's not really their place to do that. But yeah, I know. Look, I know a lot of the Opals girls and, and heard what had happened. And it is, it is just disappointing is the word to use. It is. It's just a really sad situation that um, that, that team and, and that group of women and that what they're striving for don't shouldn't have to deal with. Um, and it is sad for obviously Australian basketball because as, as Gazy said, I did listen today. I thought he spoke excellently. There's no doubt that she's one of the best players in the world. And every time she did put on the green and gold, it put Australia with a chance to win a gold medal. So that's what is disappointing. But uh, just all that I know and just from the from what I've been around, that he's right with how much support she she had across the journey. And I know that he reached out and there was plenty of uh, the, the women on the team who, who had done the same. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely tough. But now they've got a World Cup to, to really focus on. And um, who knows what will happen uh, in that with that team makeup. But I'm sure they'll be coming together pretty strongly to try and get a good result. And I would never dismiss anyone's, if that's Liz's view, that that's her experience. And who am I to dismiss that out of hand? And I've, I'm, not, I'm not close enough to be able to dispute that. But it does seem strange to me, having done those Opals games at the Olympics, Pete, um, with Chris Anstey. And we're sitting in here and, and, and nothing was really working for the Opals. And I remember asking him on air, what are we seeing here? Australia in the top two teams in the world um, in terms of how they've performed over a long period of time. It's really the Opals in the US who you think, well, you pencil them in for a medal uh, each and every tournament. And Chris just said, well, the whole structure, the whole team, everything has been set up to revolve around Liz. So the whole setup of this was all aimed at Liz having been in the paint and we everything rolled out from there. And then when you take her out, you, you almost had to put a whole new squad together to, to strike the right balance so it seems strange that someone says there's no support for me, but yet a whole team structure was set up around her. Well, I mean, you're spot on. I mean, and for people who are unaware with any of the, how the national program works, um, depending on who's in charge at the time, uh, all, all the game plan, but all of, all of that culture side of things starts long before any tournament. So uh, I think I heard, I think it was General, one of the other Opals say how it was seven days before the Olympics that, uh, she decided not to go and to ju- it just threw all of that out of whack because Chris would have been right. It's, their whole game plan on the court was designed around how how to make her be her best and to help Australia win a gold medal. So 
to throw that all out the window and start from scratch with a group designed to succeed all around her, it was never going to work. So now they have a, a long time to be able to prep for what's coming up in, in Sydney in the World Cup and they can change things a little bit and try and attack it in a different way. And who knows, could be one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time in Lauren Jackson, who um, might just make that incredible return, doing some very good things in the NBA one. Uh, any thoughts from the NBA results today, Pete? Um, Philly evening it up the series to all with Miami. James Harden finally showing why the 76ers uh, were, were so keen to get him. He went off with 31 points. Butler had 40 for the heat, but the last quarter of Harden and Joel Embiid coming back and, and, and doing Joel Embiid things. And, and Dallas and Phoenix are now to all, but that was pretty unsavory as well. Those scenes of Chris Paul and, and finding out that his family had, had there'd been a physical encounter where people had laid hands on his mother and his sister um, that's um, that's disturbing, to say the least. Oh, no doubt. I saw that one before all the stuff that happened with DJ before I spoke to him, and it's the same thing. Of It's just got to get to a point in time where uh, we know there's plenty of bad eggs in the world, but if you can't bring yourself to not crossing the line when you go to a sporting event, then you just can't go. That's just the bottom line. And let's be honest, that line is not that blurry. You can go, you can no, be passionate, it's pretty clear. supportive. You can boo. And look, a lot of players like when you trash talk if you, if you do. And there's a clear line of what's okay and what's not okay when it comes to trash talking opposition. So if you just think that you can't stay within that boundary, then sport's not for you, unfortunately. Maybe you just have to stay at home or go to a pub and yell at a TV. So, yeah, it's really disappointing. And, and the problem is we're starting to see it more and more. And, and we're starting to see players, when it happens to them, not with the Chris Paul, but they're starting to react. And we don't have to get to a point that we remember the malice in the palace because that's the last thing that's going to be good for anybody else. But uh, players seem to have had enough. So I think everybody's just got to try and hold everybody else accountable. And hopefully we can just try and stamp it out slowly but surely. Because, Pete, the, the, you make a great point because one of the things, some very few sports have something, and people might argue with this, but there are some sports just have something they can offer that no other sport can. And for basketball, that is you, you can literally reach out and touch. Not that we want you to, but you can literally reach out and touch the player in front of you if you're sitting close. Like the, the, the proximity to the player and to the action in, in basketball is like no other sport in the world. And if things like this keep happening, then you have to take measures. And the, a, a, something that would be an incredible shame would be to start to reduce that proximity to the action out of fear of something escalating. Well, no, you're exactly right, which is more to the point of in venue. I think anybody who hears anything, uh, you just have to hold that person accountable and you obviously notify someone or the club as quick as possible that people like that start getting banned. And it's not as though you get a mistake or a warning. You do something that's completely out of line, then you're going to be done from sporting event. It's, it's just that simple. And, because uh, the other way is you, you're telling everybody that when you go to a game, you've got to envision that you're sitting next to a, a young child or your child or how would you like to have that be said to one of your kids. And a lot of people, that won't really bother. So I think it's just up to everybody else. As soon as it's said, is hold that person accountable, get them a life ban. And if they get enough life bans and they can't end up anywhere, and hopefully good things can happen. Mate, love your work. Always enjoy catching up with you. Uh, we'll see you in action uh, as well if Game 3 goes longer, Game 4, and hopefully for the series point of view, a Game 5. But Sydney uh, almost, well, they've got about nine fingers uh, around the trophy at the moment. Um, but we're looking forward to Game 3 on Wednesday night. We'll speak to you soon, my friend. Thanks, mate.
Pete Hooley with us on the Sporting Cap, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. If you want to have a say about anything to do with basketball or the NBL, uh, why don't we go to the break reliving that last 30 seconds of the Kings' win over the Jack Jumpers in Tassie. They're going to get a shot off. Vasilovic makes the big three, pumps the chest, and that's a four-point margin, and they're almost home. Adams will shoot from a long way out and miss. But Sydney Kings with a famous victory here in Tasmania. Vasilovic going around telling the whole crowd what he thinks about it after that big three-point to nail the game. Goes over and high-fives Luke Longley. Huge reaction, huge game by the Jack Jumpers, but an even bigger one from the Sydney Kings. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Did you ever watch a show growing up, any of his, The Six Million Dollar Man, the, the rebuilding of Steve Austin? I actually think the rebuilding of Patrick Cripps is one of the great untold stories. We've seen a guy banged up for like two years, limping bandages all over him, and now he's free. Mm. Is it, was there anything, was it mentally, was it the rest? How has Carlton and Patrick Cripps got his body to, to this level of performance? Oh, well, he takes um, clearly the, the main um, credit for that as, as our high-performance team. Um, they've done a fantastic job getting in condition that he, that he is in right now. Um, but importantly for him, he's, uh, you know, he's been able to train every single session. He's hardly missed. Um, he's been extremely durable. So, um, you know, when we had to make sure that we... He doesn't feel like when he goes out and plays that he has to be the difference in every game he plays. We, we know that the, the really great players, and he's been certainly great for us, is that... At the right times, he'll, he'll put his flag on But how on did any you match. convince him that? Sorry to catch up. Well, you know, sometimes... Did you need convincing the great players? Kenny, come in here, Kenny. <laughs> how do you convince the great players that it's, hey, you don't have to do everything? And, and how difficult uh-huh. is that? So that was uh, Michael Voss on AFL 360 earlier tonight talking about the rebuilding of Paddy Cripps. At the moment, uh, is the outright leader in the AFL coaches' votes. I'll read you through those for round eight in just a moment, but he's kicked 13 goals for the year. That's more than any other out-and-out mid. Uh, he's averaging 12th in the comp for disposals and inside 50s, equal 4th for contested possessions, equal 5th for centre clearances, and equal 6th for score involvements. And that's been the area of the game, I reckon, that's been the massive um, increase. Since he's got the help in the middle to share the load with the grunt work in the form of Hewitt, who's actually averaging more centre clearances a year than him. That hasn't happened at Carlton, I think, since his first year when Chris Judd averaged more centre clearances. From his second year, he's been number one at that club for contested possessions and centre clearances, Paddy Cripps. And he's getting the help too from Kennedy uh, and also from uh, Chera in the middle, from Walsh when he goes in. Uh, this is a guy that last year, at 26 years of age, looked like he was 36 because of just the sheer amount that he had to carry, the burden that he had been forced to shoulder. And now he is in supreme touch. This is 2014. This is, I think he's playing better than in his, his um, AFL MVP, AFLPA MVP season. And the coaches' votes absolutely reflect that. Um, he's got a, a six-point lead at the top of the coaches' votes table. Uh, in front of Andrew Brayshaw and Clayton Oliver, who are both on 47 votes. Uh, it's a great sign for, for Blues fans. And uh, he was dominant against 
Adelaide. They put Jackson Haightley to him, and unfortunately for Jackson Haightley, he was taught a footballing lesson. Uh, the votes from the coaches from round eight, Port Adelaide Western Bulldogs, Norton and Boak shared eight votes, and Marshall got the eight votes as well. Two for McRae, Rosie, and Finlayson. Fremantle North Melbourne, 10 votes again to Andrew Brayshaw. What a year he's having. Will Brody had seven. Heath Chapman, who was the NAB Rising Star nominee for round eight, got the four with Sean Darcy, Caleb Sarong, Bailey Banfield, and Jordan Clark. Not a single North Melbourne player in the votes. There's a story tonight, too, um, that John Ralph's gone with on the Herald Sun website that uh, after their round three loss to Brisbane, uh, Dave Noble had some pretty hard, uh, strong words to say. A couple of days later, he apologised for the tone in which he said those, apparently, according to the story from Ralphie that uh, there were some players that were a little bit distressed by the tone uh, and the force behind that spray, and he uh, apologised. Since then, has toned it down, according to the story. Uh, the club are right behind Dave Noble. Um, he's simplified the game plan a little bit and just made things a little bit more uh, simple for those players to follow. Um, but that's uh, a story coming through tonight uh, on the AFL website. As I've said a few times, I'm a massive Dave Noble uh, fan, so I'm sure he'll be able to get that sorted and, uh, and the players will be right back on the side sooner rather than later. Um, Richmond and Collingwood from Saturday. Uh, Tom Lynch, 10 votes for him. Got the perfect 10. Uh, six goals. Uh, he took, I think it was three or four contested marks, um, but he's having a very, very good couple of weeks. Top of the Coleman medal table, 13 goals in the last two, 11 contested marks over the last two weeks, 27 goals for the year, 14 score involvements on the weekend. They played through him, and uh, he had the better of the matchup with Darcy Moore. Got to say, I love Morris Rioli Jr. Absolutely love Morris Rioli Jr. Jack Crisp got the six votes, had another very good game. Uh, Jade Short had six. How good's he been since joining the Richmond midfield? Just gives them a different dynamic. And um, keep an eye on Trent Cotchin's numbers as well. He's getting heavily involved from a scoring point of view in score involvements. He's always been a good clearance player. I think had seven on the weekend. But Trent Cotchin not a spent force in the game um, and playing a really important role for them. He got four votes. Pat Lipinski got two, and Noah Bolter got a couple as well. Sydney and the Gold Coast, Jared Witt's got the perfect 10, and then four votes to Powell, Swallow, and Rowell. Fiorini and Collins, who played on Buddy Franklin and kept him goalless. Uh, it was their best win of the year, the Suns. A fantastic performance. And they've won three out of the last four now against the Swans. Brandon Ellis and Isaac Rankin, who uh, kicked two really important goals um, and has been under the microscope a little bit himself, Isaac Rankin. Uh, the Giants and the Cats, 10 votes to Mark Blixarves, seven for Jeremy Cameron, who kicked five. Mitch Duncan played a lot in defence and had seven votes. Tyson Stengel is right up there, I reckon, with in the, who would be the recruit of the year at this stage? Because he would be right up there. Tyson Stengel had another really important game, and he just gives them something that they haven't really had inside forward 50 for a little while. That's an X-factor small forward, the Cats. Uh, Cameron Guthrie got a couple of votes. Sam Taylor was the only giant uh, to register a vote for his job on uh, Tomahawk. Uh, Essendon Hawthorne, Peter Wright, six goals, got him the perfect 10 votes. Darcy Parrish had a very good game, over 30 again, but uh, I think applied six tackles. As well, we got a text before pumping him up for an Essendon fan. Zach Merritt had three. Uh, Nick Martin got the two. Mason Redman. And then for Hawks, John Newcomb, um, who I reckon would be leading Hawthorne's best and fairest at this stage. He might also be winning the NAB Rising Star votes too, but I reckon he'd be winning Hawthorne's best and fairest just about. There's no other name that's really jumping off the table 
Dylan Moore, says JK. Uh, not sure. Jaeger O'Meara uh, got a vote as well. Uh, Brisbane Lions, West Coast Eagles. Hugh McCluggage is four goals. Uh, got him the perfect 10. Charlie Cameron had uh, got seven votes along with Lockie Neal. Daniel Rich got three. Harris Andrews, the two. And Noah Answorth, 75-point win uh, to Brisbane over the weekend. Melbourne and St Kilda. I really thought St Kilda might have just caused a few more headaches for Melbourne. By the way... Um, Zach Jones, $2,000 fine at the Tribune. It was 3000 but down to 2000 with an early plea for the forearm or the sort of punch to the chest of Clayton Oliver, um, who did go down like he'd taken a cannonball to the midriff. Um, sold it well, did uh, Clayton Oliver. And no, but no report and nothing from the MRO about the tunnelling of Zach Langdon. Um, uh, no, not Zach Langdon. Ed Langdon. Uh Nine votes to Clayton Oliver, who would be very, very close uh, in terms of uh, Brownlow votes this year. And he's actually equal second in the coaches' votes. Uh, so nine for him, eight for Angus Brayshaw, five for Petrarca, five for Ed Langdon. See, there was his name right there. Three to Stephen May. Uh, Carlton Adelaide, perfect 10 for Charlie Kerno. Six goals for him. They are so imposing, Mackay and Kerno. That's a, they're a lot of fun to watch, Carlton, when they're up and going. And Paddy Cripps. Uh, gets the eight votes. Cherry got three. Doherty as well. The most inspirational story and inspiring story of the year is Sam Doherty. He mentioned it earlier in Heroes and Villains. Three for Zach Fisher, two for Matty Kennedy, and one for Tom DeConing. So that leaderboard, Cripps out in front, six votes clear on 53 of Brayshaw and Oliver on 47. Lockie Neal, 39. Petrarca on 35. Chris McCluggage, Mills, and Parrish all on 31 votes. Uh, speaking of Jordan Canellis, he's going to come... Uh, come in on the other side of this break and have a chat. I don't know what he's bringing in, so it's a it's a mystery to us all. So don't go anywhere. The, we'll get a very big surprise on the other side of this break. one three hundred seven three six seven three six to have your say on anything that's happening in the world of sport. If you've got a hero or a villain, 433 uh, Just repeating, Melbourne City, 2-1 winners tonight over the Wellington Phoenix. They secure their second consecutive Premier's plate and they're looking to get back-to-back um, titles. It'll be their second ever title in their history. Sporting Capital, SEN. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Uh, Very lucky to be produced by Jordan Canellis, a name that you know, uh, a voice that you love, uh, overnight crowd. uh, He's the lead caller for all things A-League. You hear him on AFL Nation, uh, does NBL when I'm not doing it. uh, Big Bash Nation. What have I missed, Jordan? Keep going. What, what, what have I missed? Uh, a bit of tennis in the summer. Yes, tennis yeah. in the summer. NFL on the Monday morning. With Monday morning NFL show ben with Graham. Uh, Benny Graham. Hey, um, your weekend, have you got a hero and a villain from the weekend of sport for me? Yeah, I do. I've got a couple from footy and I'll throw in one from uh, outside sport or outside footy as well. A mm. uh, couple of the maybe less obvious ones. I'll give a hero to Levi Casbolt. Great call. Who who saw this oh, coming nah. from Levi Casbolt nah. at the Suns? No, nah, no one did. <laughs> He's been unreal. He's been incredible. He's uh, even Mabby or Chol has been okay with his goal output, but I feel like Casbolt's having more of an impact. He's he's a presence in the forward fifty, and there's a there's been a there's been a clear need for a presence inside fifty for the Suns for a while. They haven't had someone there consistently. They've had ple- people come and go. Obviously, Ben King's the the, mm. the one who should be there, but he's injured. But um, Sam Day hasn't had a, a clear run at it, but Levi Casbolt, yeah, it's only eight games in, but he's been good. This is Stuart Jew on that exact topic. 
Yeah, and I think um, the, the best part, I think at halftime, they were just giving us a contest, and I probably don't say it lightly, but that brings the smalls into the game. And, you know, previously they've been hitting the scoreboard and we haven't been able to just, when they've hit the scoreboards, the smalls been consistent. So, again, it's probably using that word again, it's a day where it, it started to come together and it's the work we've been doing, um, both new to the footy club, uh, but they gave... You definitely know Levi Casbolt's on the ground, um, no doubt about that. He, he attacks that ball as hard as I've, I've seen, um, and it's, it's great as, as, as the coach and, and the small forwards love it as well. Kicked two goals, one after 4-4 last week and uh, had the, uh, the five marks as well when they would have been just beside themselves when Ben King went down at the start yeah. of the year. These guys are, are giving them a contest and all they really need is Isaac Rankin to do that on a big, more of a regular basis and they can start to cobble together a scoreline that might be able to win them the games. I know they only kicked 10, but they kicked 10-15. Yeah. And it's their they, best they win made, of the year. Yeah, they made the chances. They could have converted yep. a few more of them, but they made the scoring opportunity. So 18 goals in eight games for Levi Casbolt. Maybe your Charles had 15 in eight games as well and Casbolt is top five or six for both contested marks and marks inside 50 across the league. So, you know, when, you've, when you're not creating that many opportunities generally across on average across the first eight rounds, but you're still getting numbers like that, uh, that high in the, in the league standings, that's, that's a good start to his season. Um, that's a good start to your heroes and villains. So that's a bar you. that you've set, and I wanna, keep, I'm hoping for your sake you can maintain it. Next. Uh, Sam DeConing. I was wondering yeah. where the Cats would go with, with their key defensive stocks this season with the, the uh, retirement of... Harry Taylor and Lockie Henderson over the last two seasons, um, and uh, and who would come in? Cats fans probably knew before the rest of us did that that Sam DeConing would be the one to be uh, to to be given the berth in defence. But he has been a seamless um, uh, mm. made a seamless transition from uh, from VFL football, I guess, into AFL football, and he's looked the part. Absolutely, Gary Lyon saying today that he thinks he should be winning the NAB Rising Star on SEN Breakfast uh, with he and Bucks. And he is a player that you look at, and I, I watched him for a quarter, and you just, you just go, yeah, he, he's a that's a player. Yeah, yep, he, he's a player. Yeah, he's he's written he's, all across him the way he carries himself, he's the athletic. way that he's yeah he is, and he's he's got the confidence to attack the ball in the air. Um, he slotted in very very nicely. They, they've really got a player. And the last one I'm going to give is a little bit left field, but mm-hmm. uh, for fans of I'm a combat sport fan. I like my boxing. Sure. So I'm going to give a, a hero of the uh, of the week to uh, a man by the name of Dmitry Bivol, who is a Russian boxer, but he was fighting Canelo Alvarez, who will go down as one of the goats of boxing in the modern era. He'll be up there with, with all the big names from the from the recent uh, eras like Gennady Golovkin and Oscar De La Hoya. Well, he's only lost to Floyd, hasn't he? Well, yes, he had until the weekend yep. when Dimitri Bivol uh, defeated him. So Dimitri Bivol is a 31-year-old from uh, he's a he's a Kyrgyz Russian, and um, and Bivol he he upstaged Canelo Alvarez in America, and Canelo's got a big following in America. He's from Mexico, Alvarez. So all of the um, all the the Mexican uh, sort of expats who go up to the states are all big followers of him. And um, Canelo Alvarez, the best boxer of this generation, was shown up by some. Good discipline in um, in uh, in boxing from Bivol. And now, unfortunately for Canelo, and this is how quickly you fall from grace, this is how quickly people lose respect for you, because now everyone's saying, oh, you should fight one of those Jake or Logan Paul flogs Ugh. who have turned boxing into a circus. I, I hate how um, how 
in boxing, you lose one fight and automatically your reputation gets tarnished. Yeah. Boxers can have a, you know, 30 and 0 record, but as soon as they go 30 and 1, it's like, oh, that's it. Career's over. Yeah, that's never, I've never understood that either. No, neither. UFC is a little bit more forgiving on a loss, aren't yes, they? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, what about some villains? Villains? Uh, we're seeing lower, lower scoring in, um, in footy. I don't, know, I don't know how to pinpoint this villain because it's kind of, it's also dependent on the teams that beat uh, the other sides, but the, the scoring has been very low. So maybe it's just a general umbrella to, to the sides who maybe throw in the towel a little bit early or can't find solutions. But you look at the scoring from the weekends, and we're reaching some pretty low, and not just this weekend, but previous weekends as well. Margins, I feel like, are growing out as well. But North Melbourne scored 24 points, West Coast 30, the Giants 35, St Kilda 55, Sydney 61, Adelaide 68, the Dogs 69. So getting up to a little bit higher there. But when you're scoring less than sort of six goals, five goals, you've got to, there has to be, maybe we give a cut a little slack to, a team like the West Coast Eagles, who are struggling on all fronts at the moment. Yeah, I think but they North- get – I'm happy to give West Coast – Well, yeah. And this is funny that the moment that you do something like those seven players did in in the midst of what um, yeah. the West Coast Eagles are dealing with, you lose a little bit of that public sentiment and support and that um, forgiveness for your performances uh, because you feel like, well, they're going through a fair bit. Clearly, they'd be hurting. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, it, it does concern me. But one of the contributing factors to that, though, Jordan, is the inaccuracy. I, yeah. I said it a few yeah. weeks ago that only half the teams in the competition kick at fifty percent or above in terms of goal kicking accuracy. That's just yeah, nowhere that's near good enough. Yeah, that's staggering. When you when you're seeing teams sort of almost get to the fringe of twenty behinds, yeah, in a game, you know, seventeen, eighteen behinds in a match. I haven't checked it for this round, but I, I think last week I mentioned that it was a, it's around twelve teams that have lost games but have had more scoring shots than their opposition Wow! this year. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. It seems like, I mean, North Melbourne, they're, they're still, you know, at the start of a rebuild, but this is the second year under David Noble and they should be, you should see at least some sort of progression, but it doesn't feel like they've made any progression mm. from last season. A team like the Giants, 35 points on the weekend with the, with the squad that they have and Geelong completely outplayed them. Their, their ground defense is, is the best in the league or one of the best in the league. But the Giants should, they just had no creativity. They had no plan B, no different solution. And Leon Cameron himself labelled his own side boring, which I think is pretty accurate. Oh, they are. <laughs> They're just unwatchable. They are a tough watch. Yeah. They, you, but, but to go from what they were last week and the way in which they played that week um, to, to get the win that they did in round seven over Adelaide, 59 points. But maybe as we found out that Adelaide are going to be an up and down situation as well, given where they're at in their rebuild, you get lulled in again by the Giants. And that, for me, that that performance against the Cats, I'm done now. Yeah. I've, I've been a yep. massive supporter because I, I want expansion to work because I want the game to be the biggest game and for it not to be even an argument. And mm-hmm. to be Australian rules football, to be the AFL, you've got to play it everywhere. Yep. So I want the Giants to work. I want the Suns to work. Mm. And obviously the Lions and the Swans, but they've had some success, which is good. I, 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 I can't, I can't trust you anymore. Yeah, I, I, I fall. I, I, I feel like I've, I've been had my heart broken. I've been betrayed. Uh, the Giants. This just might be the natural cycle that teams go through. Teams go through these cycles all the time. Sometimes, sometimes teams go through extremely long cycles where it takes them a long time to get from the bottom to the top again. But every team will go through a cycle. Uh, inevitably. So maybe this is just the Giants who have been at the top of the cycle for a few years through 
the years that they were making finals and looking like a contender in 2017, 18, 19, when they made the uh, the grand final, and they've made finals in the season since. But maybe this is just the start of their natural decline and, and a potential refresh of their list, yeah. which it sounds a little strange because they've no. got such a, a great list with a, a lot of that profile is at peak age. Yeah. But maybe this is – maybe it's not the list. Maybe it's the coach. They've still got great young talent coming through, yep. which they continue to always have. That, that We still haven't seen some of what they've got there. But I can't forgive when I think for fans because when you look at a team and if you're not playing well and you know that you're down, if you walk away as a fan and say, "Geez, we lost," but "Geez, we had a crack," "Geez, we really mm. did." I'm not saying that players don't try, but you've got to look at some of the numbers. So if you get if you get well beaten in the disposal count, yet you still get beaten in the tackle count. Spoke about it with North Melbourne earlier. Yeah. North Melbourne fans at the moment would be saying, "Well, I don't." Okay, yep, sure, the coach yelled at you after round three and that upset a few people. But when you turn up, we just want to we just want to be proud of your intent mm. and your intensity. Yep. North Melbourne have been losing the, the disposal count by over a hundred and, and, and convincingly being out tackled. Yeah. And as a fan you go, Well, I can't how do you expect me to stand by you and and, and keep giving you the love when it doesn't seem to me like you might not you just might not be as hungry as I would like to think that you are. Yeah, I'm always instantly impressed when I see a team who has won a game also win the tackle count. Yeah. Because that they theoretically, if they've won the game... Because I mean, it's mindset. De- depends on the margin. Yeah, it depends on the margin, but you'd think that generally they'd have more of the ball if they've had more of the score as well. You need the ball to score. So when you've done a lot of the work without the ball as well and you've outworked your opponent when you've had more of the ball, it's, a, it's as you've said, It's I, yeah, I find that instantly impressive. Um, is it too late to throw out a new topic? No, we've got. Oh, I got a bit we've, of time. We've got. How about we? We'll get. A, we'll have the break and we'll come back in right. the two and a half minutes we've got left. That's two and a half minutes, to, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's all right. We'll get it done. All right. <laughs> hey, off the text. Uh, Jordan Canella sounds hot. Correct. Yeah. Just for the the man that sent that through, you know that your name, full name, is attached to it. <laughs> oh, John he, Donahoe. He, he knows. <laughs> Uh, there we go. Hey, we'll come back and, and wrap it up. Jordan's got a little tasty morsel to leave us with on the Sporting Capital after this. You're listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. Uh, congratulations to Melbourne City. 2-1 win over Wellington Phoenix means that they've got their second Premier's plate. They leapfrog Melbourne victory, which will be all the sweeter uh, for Melbourne City. Jordan Canellas had a final thought that he wanted to leave us with. JK? Just a question, quick one. Yeah. What's your favourite background sport? Sport to just flick on the TV while you're pottering around the house. Maybe it's late at night and you're just kind of winding down, chilling out. What's a favourite? Just one that you don't have to focus too hard on to, to enjoy. Uh, well, I think longer form. So golf is really good for that. Yep. yep. I think cricket is really good for that. If oh. you can have things happening yeah. around the place and be doing things and, and, and either be listening to it or, or just quickly check scores and, and, and – you can come in and out of it. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, overseas cricket when it's late at night and it's in England or something mm. and it starts at whatever 9pm or 10pm or something and you can just have it on in the background as you're you know, winding down for the day. Um, surfing in the, in the day is pretty good when it's in Australia. I think I've, the, I've been liking the surfing. Yeah. they've had. I think they had Margaret River last week and Gold Coast this week. Yep. Just have that on in the background. You hear the sound of the waves crashing mm. in the background. That's not bad. The one I, the one I really like the most is cycling. 
So when the Tour de France is on? Oh, really? Every night. No, see, if I want to watch cyclists, I can just go outside <laughs> and watch them stop me from getting where I'm trying to go because they're taking up the whole road I'm... and inexplicably wearing lycra when they're not really competing at the highest level. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that thing makes me laugh. 21 nights in a row I'll do Tour de France. Really? Every night, yeah, I'll do it. And then um, and so the Giro d'Italia, which is one of the three major cycling yeah. tours, that's the start. It's uh, rest day today, but they've had the first three stages, so I'll pop in and out of the Italy Tour. I think they, I think the broadcast that they do of those events is phenomenal. Absolutely, they, they do it. Really, I mean, they know that, yeah. that, that that sport inside out. So I think that the the quality of the product is top notch. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they do a fantastic job. And and Matt Keenan's the commentator. He is an encyclopedia of, uh, of yeah. cycling knowledge. You just come up with something they go. Even uh, how does a commentator come up with that? I think Gary and Tim have had him on, haven't they? Yeah, and uh, I and think Jared might have had him on. Dwayne had him on every week during um, during ah, COVID twenty twenty. The pipe, yeah. Had, you should have seen the pipes wheels that he was rolling at, at Marvel yesterday. Luminous wheels. They were they were multicolored. Really, look like Nike Air Skittles. What? They were just <laughs> they light up. Oh, they were doing. It was, there was a lot <laughs> happening in the shoe department for that. He's a stylish man. Oh, he's got good. He's got really good shoe game uh, as the pipe. Unique. Wheels. Yeah, he does. He, he does. Yeah. Hey, um, we're, we're going to get out of here. I'll see you tomorrow night. Thank you. I'll see you then. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow night. Thanks for all the calls. Thanks for all the text. Your heroes and villains nominations were brilliant. Uh, tomorrow night, Footy Tinder will be back. So until then, stay safe. Thanks for all your contributions, and we'll see you and speak to you tomorrow night. Enjoy. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.